Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So, we're taking the train of slasher icons. First, we had Michael Myers last episode where we talked Halloween Resurrection. And the next slasher that we're going to put under a microscope, we've only covered once before with the Dream Master. Of course, I'm talking Freddy Krueger. And I'm talking about... Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, the sixth installment. And this is what I really kind of uh, enjoyed the behind the scenes on it. There's a really cool story in Never Sleep Again talking about, wow, like Peter Jackson wrote a treatment of the script, but I would love to read because they talk about a little bit um, of what the idea was in Never Sleep Again. And man, I love the idea of it. I really... Wish somebody would run with that for a new Nightmare on Elm Street because uh, it's super clever. And I wish they would have done it because I think it would have definitely worked out. But the movie aside, which would be so much fun to talk with Jamie next week about, is uh, this week's guest. Uh, Special effects, you know I love them. I love what's going on behind the scenes and how it works, especially when it comes to the 80s and 90s and still 2000s and, you know, we're still getting practical effects and prosthetics, but just the 80s and 90s, I feel like it was the Wild West. And uh, I had a blast chatting with Jeffrey S. Farley. Uh, Jeffrey, I found on Instagram, and I was like, oh, my God. This guy's worked on so many cool things over the years. The remake of The Blob. He, he works on that great scene in the car when the spikes go through that Playboy model that was in Under Siege. I, the same same thing happens in the interview with Jeff. I say Say and he goes, oh no, I was in the back seat. And he remembered her name right away. It starts with an E. Should have wrote better notes before I started doing this, but uh, yeah, just talking about. He grew up in Glendale, California, so he kind of grew up in the thick of everything. He has some cool stories from his childhood, and he even says like, "Wow, I was like more surrounded by as a kid than I am later in life." But uh, you're gonna love that, and just uh, you know, his career working on all these cool different things like the Stepford Children. That was one of his earlier gigs. And then The Blob, some great behind the scenes on that. Uh, Freddy's Dead, uh, his scene that he worked on was pretty neat that he talked about. Fortunately, it got cut. But just the experience. You know what? No matter what, these guys uh, and gals that work on movies in front of or behind the camera, you might get cut. But check clears. You still have that memory. And uh, Jeffrey has a lot of good ones. Uh, working with Full Moon when he first started connecting with them. And we're on so many of their out of this world movies that they make, man, with Charles, uh, Charlie Band and all those people do over there. So much fun. We talked to a full, a uh, few full moon, moon people. Audio Andy is one of them who actually remembered, uh, Jeffrey, which is pretty neat, but yeah, prepare to hear some really cool behind the scenes on how things are made behind the scenes and how he did some of, uh, some of the effects, uh, on some of these films. So, uh, do me a favor. If you're new here, welcome, Man, we love people that check out our show because we have a lot of fun doing it. Just seeing those ticks go up on listens are just an added benefit. We just crossed over 50,000 listens, which when me and Jamie started this, we thought the only people that listened, maybe my mom, maybe Jamie's mom. I don't know. That's all I thought. So we've uh, met a lot of cool people doing this. So uh, thanks for listening. And please... Follow us on all social media at sequels only. Like, share, subscribe, do whatever. Just tell one person today about us. That's all we need. Just one. Just one. And uh, without further ado, 
Here is special effects master, Jeffrey S. Farley. What are you guys watching? Anything good? It's the Adams Family. <laughs> nice. Movie or TV show? The TV show. Go for the classics. Nice. He just turned 92. I know. It's amazing. Wow. I never got to work with John Aston, but boy, that would be awesome. I did a couple movies with, uh, with, uh, actually, I worked with, did movies with both Mackenzie and, uh, and Sean. Oh, really? But I didn't really meet. I mean, I probably came closer to meet, meeting Mackenzie on Garbage Pail Kids movie, but yeah, yeah. But, but uh, I did another show with him later and I was never on set for it, but eh. that's about as close as I ever get to the Astons. (laughs) Not too bad. You know, Sean's career, man, what he's done is. It's insane amazing, yeah you know that's a great i mean i mean really i mean john Aston is just i mean wow i mean he's he he is the epitome of of gomez adams and i'm sorry it's everybody <laughs> else's a pale imitation yeah no what he did was he took this character and made it like you can't stray from it so that's why the new netflix series i wonder how luis guzman's yeah. gonna do it he has to play it to Uh-oh. that i would think or that's a hard to say i mean to be honest with you i mean i guess they'll Everybody sort of brings their own thing. I think it's the reason why there's never been a reboot of the Munsters that's ever worked beyond the original series. And it's because, A, it was fresh, um, fresh material, untested. So it was kind of new for audiences at the time. It took, you know, it was the concept that they, that they, you know, that they used and it was, you know, working class family, you know, who happened to be made of monsters who <laughs> yeah. lived in suburbia and then, you know, and then just sort of like trying to fit into society, which is, which is weird because it's exactly the polar opposite of the, of the Adams family, which is more, yeah. I mean, they're so wealthy that they're bored with life and that they've gravitated towards the, the, you know, the, the um, sort of supernatural sort of like, morbid end of life because i mean they're just so wealthy they could do anything they want you know and they all but they but they live this weird insular life that doesn't they don't really travel too much outside of their own home and <laughs> on the show you know so it's sort of like you know but it's uh you know it's they're both great shows and i just life. think the way it's it, like to do herman is hard like when you see the colorized version of herman like even when they do the old colors of the old ones i remember in the 90s they did a tv movie i'm trying to think who played it i I feel like somebody big played him john John shuck edward herman with jerry o'connell now played him and with no makeup oh Um, yeah i I watched that pilot that looked good it was like (laughs) different i actually i met i had the luck of meeting Fred Gwynn, Yvonne DiCarlo, and Al Lewis all in monster makeup on the Universal Backlot when they did their final TV movie, The Monsters of Revenge. Oh my god! And that was yeah, a friend of my, uh, my best friend from school. His dad was uh, Jack Klugman's driver on the Universal lot when he was doing Quincy, and so his dad got well, Mike, Mike, and I down on the lot. And we, but he got us on the lot. Uh, of course, we met everybody on the Quincy, the Quincy um, 
stage and wow. Jack and Robert Ito and all the other actors and director and, you know, and all that stuff. But somebody grabbed us and said, here, you, you got to come with me and takes us to another stage. And there's the three of them, you know, Fred and, and Yvonne and, and Al all in makeup. And it was like, we got to meet them and talk to them. And it was like, and that's when nobody was carrying a camera with them. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, we didn't have any way to record it, but it was, and I, we didn't even get, you know, we didn't even think of asking for, for a signature or anything like that. It was just one of those random moments and it's just kind of burned in, into our memories now. But, uh, you know, it's so odd too, because I mean, years later I, I, I worked on pet cemetery, Yeah, you know, Fred's that Fred starred in. And then, and I had worked on uh, Cellar Dweller also, and Yvonne was in that. And and I was also I was I ended up being the uh, associate producer on Jack Klugman's final show. And yeah, it's just kind of a weird, you know, that was a weird day. Did you ever mention it to them? Did you say that to Fred or Yvonne? Like, hey, I met you when I was twelve. Never ever met them. I I didn't. I was. I mean, I was only working in the lab on those shows on pet, okay. pet cemetery and well, I was, I was working in the labs on those shows and the, the set work was way beyond me at that point. And I mean, actually the cellar dweller was closer only because we were, we were shooting everything over at John Beekler's studio because it was nice. just insert for the show, extra monster inserts and transformations and, and things like that. But they had already shot the film in Italy by that point the days that Jack was shooting on camera obscura, I, I was so busy in my lab making, making a monster a day uh, to get the, get it down. So we lost a week, a week of our schedule and they just played <laughs> havoc on everything. And so I ended up, you know, we had to rush everything out and get the monsters like, you know, to them a week early. And, and, and it was literally building, waking up in the morning and and taking all the parts that we've made the day before and start putting them together and by like you know 10 a.m or 11 a.m having something to ship down to set and then start the whole Jeez. process for the next monster for the next day it was like it was nuts but but we made it through on that but you know i mean it's the strange the strangeties of life right now so how did it begin obviously you lived out there how far from like hollywood did you grow up i i mean i was born in in and well, I mean, the, I was born in Glendale, which is just north of Hollywood, or just sort of northeast or whatever of Hollywood, um, in you know, Los Angeles suburb, basically. And then my early life, I was living in a, in a town north of that called La Crescenta, and that's sort of where I grew up from being a real little kid to being in you know, a, a teenager, which then we moved back down to Glendale and that's sort of where I spent the rest of my, my teen years and childhood and stuff. But for me, I, uh, um, found out that, uh, I, I got in the business because, uh, of a film called Equinox. I, I saw it in the theater when it came out originally in 1971 here in Los Angeles and, and it just blew me away. And, and the morning they had come on, I'd seen Dave Allen, Dennis Muren, on a local uh, morning news news program, and Dave had Taurus with him. I think Dennis had, I think Dennis had the uh, the 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 other the Asmodeus flying demon creature and model, and uh, and it blew me away to see Dave moving the Taurus model, and I built one for myself. So that's awesome. Myself and yeah, it's kind of fun to get to you know sort of live out that that childhood fantasy. 
So what was your first step after that? Did you know right away? Because was this right around the same time you went on set with your buddy? Like around that well, same no, age? I, I wanted, this is like ni- 1971 is when I, because I mean, when I was a kid, I mean, I got monster crazy because of my brother who, who, um, he got out of monsters. He kind of was the first one. He got a, a Frankenstein kit. He got an Aurora, you know, model kit. And I, nice. and I saw it and I flipped out and I was like, wow. And, and he got out of it pretty quickly. I mean, he like he was maybe in monsters, maybe in the monsters for like five minutes of his life, and and I grabbed a hold of it, and I, it stuck with me. And I think my first kit was the King Kong kit, and I remember having that that original Godzilla in in fuchsia, which was not like you know, which is in this purple plastic, not green, and it was really an odd choice for a color for it, but uh, we. You know, like I said, I mean, I'd, I'd suddenly I'd seen King Kong on television. I'd seen Seventh Voyage of Sinbad on television. And my grandparents took me to see a movie called The Projected Man, which was produced by a guy named Richard Gordon who did Feeding Without a Face and oh, okay. stuff shot over in England. And, and uh, so I remember, you know, I remember seeing stuff like that, television and, and stuff. But but when I saw Equinox, it, it just it threw me for a loop because it was kind of, it was so weird and so ethereal and so grounded. And so, um, it, I mean, it was kind of, it was fantastic yet. It didn't really play up to too much of his fantastic nature in times. And it seemed kind of normal, but weird. And it had this great stop motion monsters in it. I mean, really great sequence sequences in it, but, you know, some of them are a little more crude than others, but I mean, the guys were shooting in, in garages and pool houses and <laughs> backyards and, you know, and stuff like that, wherever they could shoot, you know, to get, to get the shots. And, but I found out that Equinox was shot like just really close to where I lived. I mean, shot, there were shots done just a few miles from where I lived, like it, the house I lived in at the time in La Crescenta and the bridges, the bridge shots are in La Crescenta. And as well as underneath the bridge. And then I spent years going to a place. My dad had an archery club he belonged to. And we used to go there like one Sunday a month. And it turned out to be where they shot, shot most of the original film. All the, all the green giant shots were, you know, uh, uh, um, mixed scale shots were all done there. And it turns out I used to eat my lunches off of those picnic tables that they used for the, for the set. And, Oh my God. Yeah, but it was it was it was through. I met Forey Ackerman, and it turns out Forey lived fairly close to where we were, so my mom would take me down there. And eventually, I just started bussing it down there. <laughs> and he called me one night. Forey called me one night and said, "Hey, you want to come down and uh, meet Ray Harryhausen on New Year's Eve?" And I'm like, "Yeah, great. I love you know." And, and so here I'm, like 14 year old kid, and and uh, my mom takes me down there and. And, uh, we, you know, there and meet Ray is just, I mean, Ray is just, I mean, uh, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but you know, they're not talking about Ray Harryhausen. I mean, he, he really lived up to his, his status in each and every way. But, uh, I met a guy there who had, you know, had, uh, he'd been working at the Berman, Berman studios on, uh, Empire of the Ants and things like that. And so he got me in on Kingdom of the Spiders and 
And from there I started, that's, that's when I, that's when it started going. I met Jim Danforth and then David Allen and then Dennis Murin. And and it turns out they all lived like just miles away from where I was living. I just looked (laughs) them up in the phone book and would call them. And so for years I was just talking to these guys and corresponding with them. And then Dennis Murin invited me to his house. He called me one night and said, I'm, I'm leaving Los Angeles. I'm moving up to, I'm moving up north because ILM's going up there, and we're going to start on Empire Strikes Back. So I'm, I'm moving out of Los Angeles area, but I'm having one more Equinox party here at the house and invited me over. And a, fr- a friend of mine and I went over there, and it, it was the original version of Equinox, not the not the Harris version he was showing. He was showing his original cut of, yeah. on 16 miller, his, his personal 16 millimeter <laughs> copy of it. It was amazing. It was so cool seeing that. I, you know, nineteen seventy-eight, and I'm, you know, never thought I'd see that. Mark McGee had already had me over to his place and showed me rear window, trying to cure me of the Equinox curse. He he took me out that day, and and uh, we went down to Hollywood, and he showed me. Took me to Bronson Cave to show me the cave, and took me to places where they had shot Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and we went to some of the collectors' bookstores and. I had found some photos from Equinox, some eight by tens, and I went, "Look, what I'm going to buy." And he, <laughs> Mark holds out this photo of Pam Greer in front of my face. and says, "You should be paying attention to this, not Equinox." Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, he would always tell me, he said, "Out of all the good films in the world, why Equinox?" But yeah, but, yeah, my fiance said because I'm a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are in some ways, but it was, yeah. you know, but that's, that was, you know, that was just a, a lucky fluke that the film that got me inspired to do this, I ended up meeting all the guys and becoming friends with them. And, and, uh, I even corresponded with Jack Harris for a while and he sent me a bunch of stuff and eventually I worked on the remake of the blob. I know that's amazing. So, yeah. So, so what was your first step? So you're 21 give or take in like 78. So what was your first, what was the next time? Got 78. I was still 16. As I say, I turned, I turned, I didn't turn 20 until I was until 82. Oh, okay. so I was, I think 16 or 17. Jesus. I was like a six. I was young and you know, I was really yeah. young. growing up in Arndale turned out to be a great thing because all my neighbors were actors. My Mom was friends with a local lady and their, and the, and the, and their, their last name was Yuriosti. And it turns out that the husband was a guy named Frankie Ariosti. He's like an Oscar winning uh, editor. And it was just, you know, an editor time. I don't know if he won his Oscar by that point, but he was, you know, I think eventually became an Oscar winning editor and stuff. But he knew what I was into. My mom had said, you know, my son's into movies and, and this and that monster movies and stuff like that. Well, I was over there one day and he tells me, he goes, he goes, when I, he says, when I was working in the editorial department at, at Universal Studios, like back in the nineteen early nineteen sixties, um, early sixties, he goes. One of the films I worked on was King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> so I was blown away by that. It was so cool. And then, <laughs> um, uh, eventually, after Star Wars, uh, uh, one of the editors, Richard Shu, him and his family moved about three houses away from us. <laughs> we became really good friends with them, and and I used to go down and keep an eye on his kids when him and his wife would go out. <laughs> and uh he'd let me he'd let me hold his oscar and you know so i used to get to hold his his star wars oscar and 
and stuff like that. I mean, that was kind of a, see, that's like the weird childhood that I had. I don't work. It's weird. I work in film now, but I don't have like the, the, the cool childhood that I had when I was you know, a kid. It was all sort of like, you know, I'm sort of like, maybe I'm just too aloof about it now. I mean, I get, I do get starstruck every once in a while. I mean, every once in a while, you can't help but meet somebody that you go, wow, that's so cool. You know, like Guy Rolf or, or, uh, um, how about James Best? James Best. Yes. James was awesome. James was so cool. I interviewed his niece who was in that movie too. Jennifer Lyons. Oh really? That's yeah, yeah. The, uh, the return return of the killer shrews. What a yeah, what, you know what a thing that was. I mean, I was doing uh, I was doing Universal Soldier four at that time. I got the the contract to do the all the prosthetic stuff in my lab, and then it, it shipped out to my my friend who was heading up the the makeup department in Louisiana, and like right in the middle of it. That was like all. It was like that was already like a twelve week job to begin with. But right in the middle of it, I, I mean, uh, Steve Latshaw. I think either Steve Latshaw or Dan Golden contacted me. It's probably Steve first who contacted me and said, "Hey, I'm doing Return of the Killer Shrews. You want to get involved?" And I went, "Well, yeah." And, <laughs> and uh, I first of all, I mean, it was just like I, it was a really low budget job. I mean, I built that thing, and what you see in the film. You don't see much of what I did in the film. I mean, I did a lot of makeup effects stuff in it. Uh, uh, Rick Hurst's son gets his arm ripped off, and and uh, you know a few other things like that. But the the shrew that I built, um, you know, you only get to see it certain times, which actually I like a lot. I thought it worked out pretty well because it's really only just a head and shoulders puppet, and I built some gloves to go with it. And I wanted to do a little bit more, but. Honestly, it was like with so little money, I just, I don't think I could afford all the fur. So that I, the fur that I had was, was, that's all the fur that I had, I think at the time. And it was sort of like, I can't afford to buy any more for this thing. But no, but, uh, uh, it really ended up being a fun thing to be involved in. And I'm, I'm really happy because I mean, how many, how many times does a person get an opportunity to get involved in a show that is a sequel to, I mean, one of the like, classic 1950s, you know, yeah. monster movies. Everyone <laughs> seems to know the killer. My, even my, my, my dad knew it. My, you know, my dad remembers seeing it and when he was a kid. And, 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 uh, but it's one of those films that just seems like a lot of people know just mostly by reputation, you know, yeah. the dogs and, and, and fursuits. And then this one, they obviously they did CG you know, for it. And I mean, honestly, the guys, I mean, they didn't have much to work with and they did the best they could with it. And, um, but it was nice that, that I got to see my design translated into, you know, into these dimensional, you know, puppets that could be utilized more than, than unfortunately what mine could. Mine just had, mine had a few movies in the face and stuff like that. But like I said, it was, it was fun and it was a lot of, there were a lot of good people, on it and i only went on set again a few days because my god i was i did 12 weeks i did eight shows in at that time like web series short films features tv movies <laughs> i had like 12 shows i mean eight shows in a 12 week period i didn't have a day off in that amount of time <laughs> and i think i worked minimum of 16 hour days i was living in my studio at the time 
And then when I got my final check and was finished for the Universal Soldier job, I, I think I was offered another job and I turned it down. It was just like a sculpting job or something like that. But I turned it down and I took a week and I flew to North Carolina and I met the girl who I going to marry. So that no was, way. You know, yeah, it was nice. We'd already been talking and, and, uh, oh, that's I, awesome. and it wasn't really, I went out there for any real intention, but it was it just, you know, we, we got to meet each other. I just went out and meet and just meet new people and just go yeah. to a different place. I'd never been there and I just wanted to go somewhere different and have a nice, you know, a nice enjoyable week and of no stress, no movie stuff. Yeah. It worked out great. It was like really nice and very good people. You know, good family. So very, very, very nice people. I'm very proud to, to know all of them. So nice. So Jeff, how, yeah. how did you? Obviously, you had all those people around you, and you had all those people that were at your disposal for like information. How did you get to? What was your steps to actually making it a career? Like getting onto your first set. Obviously, you worked in '77 on Kingdom of the Spiders, but what was like your first step after that? Well, the first step was like the first 10 years after that first job was I'd work for my dad's sheet metal shop. I was working for my dad's sheet metal shop, you know, and, and uh, that was my day job. And then things would pop up. Everyone, maybe a short film would come up or um, in 84, a friend of mine calls me. This is a guy that I'd met who had been working on, down at Roger Corman's on Galaxy nice. of Terror. Guy named this is Gene a Roger Corman movie right here. That's awesome. Oh, Munchie, excellent. That was uh, that's uh, that's uh, Gabe Bartalis's Munchie there. Oh, it is. Yeah, Jim Wynorski directed. I interviewed a few people that worked on it. They were they were running the original one on like one of the streaming channels the other day, and that was all Rob Robert Short <laughs> stuff. The the little Mayan puppet things. Oh, the fur the original Munchies. Yeah, that's the, the original, the original movie. Munchies. Yeah, and then the Munchie is uh, that's Gabe Bartalis's. Uh, you know, like when they did the, the when Jim Wynorski, I think, did it or. Yep. Yeah. No, yeah. Good old Jim. <laughs> he's, he's awesome. <laughs> uh, but no, but it was like 10 years. Like I said, in 84, uh, this Gene, Gene calls me one day and and I actually I had a studio at that time. A friend of mine had rented a place on Santa Monica Boulevard. And we we're making a, a, a promo a film to try to sell to MTV and you know, for something we're trying to sell to MTV. <laughs> and so I was already, I had a nice little studio set. My friend calls me and says, Hey, I got this, uh, I got this job. It's not much money. I'm going to take the money <laughs> and I like to, to build this stuff. And I'm like, sure. Why not? He says, I'll get you all this stuff. He said, I just don't really have a place to do it. And here's, you know, and, and, uh, and I know you have space and you, would you mind making this stuff? And I was like, great. So I built this, like a, a shoulder-mounted parrot, like that would uh, a little cable control that would run down the guy's arm, and he could he could move the head and the beak on it. And and I made this little award award ceremony. Well, not really a statue, but it was kind of a supposed to be like a, a this fictional television award for a this big ceremony, kind of an Emmy type <laughs> ceremony, and. Um, I didn't finish off the, the, the parrot because I, I'm never good at dealing with feathers. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> hair and feather and all that stuff just drives me nuts. I could do it, but it's just like, ugh. I like to hire <laughs> other people to do it. But it, uh, uh, it turned out to be uh, Danny DeVito's directorial debut, thing he and Rhea Perlman started in called The Ratings Game. 
And it's like this. Oh, nice. Uh, it, was, it was Showtime's. It was Showtime's first made for t- made for cable TV movie. And it's it's hilarious. I just finally got a copy of it on DVD a couple of years ago. I hadn't seen it in, in, in years, and it's it's got. I mean, it's got like stars like from like you know fifty years before, and and people now like Jerry Seinfeld's got a small part in it, and wow, and, and stuff like that. So it's got all these like different people in it, and uh, and uh, I mean, I never thought I'd ever see Steve Allen and Jane Meadows holding this this awards prop that I had made. It was like so weird to see people of that caliber working with stuff that I made. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but time went on and I was actually, I, I was hanging out. I was doing stuff for a band called TSOL. I used to go down and do makeups for them and things like that back in my punk rock days. And I, you know, it was really, I, I'll admit for a long time, it was tough looking for a job only because, uh, just nerves, you know, trying to, trying to get the nerve to, to just, uh, to really, you know, think that you're good enough to get involved and do this stuff. It takes a, a lot of, takes a great leap of faith and a lot of yeah. confidence to do it, which I lacked both. <laughs> and, uh, no, but I, I finally did. I finally, uh, I, I called makeup effects lab one day, not, not thinking there'd be any chances because I was living fairly close to them. And I said, I gave them a call and, and, uh, uh, Doug White answers. And I said, well, hi, I'm Jeff Farley. And I'm you know looking to see if you guys have any work. He says, how much can you work for? Or you like, you know, can you, and I, and I gave him this price and he says, I'll pay a hundred bucks more a week. And you just, you know, get up here. And, and, uh, and I spent a couple of weeks working on it. We were doing like a, a commercial building this giant shark for a commercial. Just didn't, you know, the commercial didn't last for too long. I think it's online these days but it was it was kind of an interesting little job but the other job was a, a tv movie with barbara eden called the stepford children it was one of the the stepford movies in the sequence yeah. to the the stepford wives and so we were building all these like artificial humans and you know dummy heads and and uh uh and we is that did... the first time that you did that or did you practice that, that in your own lab first... that you had that, well, you know something. I mean, yeah, I'd made little molds, and I'd made noses, and I'd made a, I'd made little things, and I, you know, like I got a short film. I did, I made a skull that, this, this you know, with a gelatin skin that you could like pull wires, and the skin would slide off the skull, similar to nice. uh, Ghost Story and things like that. Things I was reading in Cinemagic and Cine Fantastic and Fangoria and Famous Monsters and, you know, any bit of information I get to make something on these films, but on the Stepford children, it was just, I was surprised that I made it through because the days were so long. And I was thinking to myself, I'm never going to make it through this night. This is going to kill me. I've been like, yeah, I'm in my early twenties. I'm still thinking I'm going to die because it's just like, we're just so killer. The, the hours are so deadly and, and you're just pushing yourself. It was a great crew that I mean, so many good people there. And I met a lot of people who had already been working a number of years in the business and some that were a little bit newer who had already been working on films like house and other films, you know, of that, of that nature. And, and, uh, so I, I, I get to be fr- good friends with a lot of these people and, and, nice. and, but we did one final 24 hour push we do like this or it's like a or like maybe it's a i don't know maybe it's over a 12 hour maybe it felt like 24 to me but we look like, <laughs> yeah. all night an all-nighter and it's like five or six in the morning 
maybe it's like maybe maybe it was around five in the morning or something. And they get everybody together, everybody gather together for this meeting. And we go in and we're like standing there and they go here, we're going to pick. We need to pick the crews to go to these different sets, one for this commercial and the other for the Stepford children. So now here's the problem. If you get picked for this commercial, that's it. You go right to set. You know, like Hardy's pulled an all-nighter, and then you're going all the way up to, like, Valencia, you know, for set work for another 12 or 14 or 16-hour day, whatever it takes to get done. And uh, if you get paid for the Stepford children, that's not till, that's not until later that night. It's a night shoot, so it's like you get the day to rest. And when they called me for the Stepford children, I was so grateful. I was like, yeah, I was like, I could go home and get some sleep. And they were shooting. I was living in North Hollywood at the time. I mean, near just near Lancashire Boulevard. And they were shooting just down at Griffith Park. So it wasn't too far. I didn't even have a car. I think one of the guys just picked me up and drove me down there. And, and we were doing our shots and getting set up and doing our setups and our dummies on the table in the lab and, and, and Barbara Eden was there, and I mean, just working with her was just, I mean, amazing because she's so kind, such a nice lady, and and I mean, she was just a pleasure to work with. And um, we're doing our little gags and stuff like that. And we had the thing where the, the these dummies break loose and they come to life, and they're or these they're not dummies, but they're like synthetic humans, you know, and. And they're, but they're like, they look like they're skinned, you know, kind of muscle, the skin bodies basically. And there were these puppets that we had built and, uh, we get up, set up for a shot where they're in the car, Barbara, you know, maybe Barbara's in the passenger seat or somebody, you know, they're, they're, they're in, I think it's supposed to be Barbara's dummy. So I think she's in the passenger seat and suddenly all of a sudden, you know, the, the, this thing pops up with the window, you know, they lock the doors and they're in the car and this lady pops up and banging on the banging on the window trying to get at her and uh and so they want this this dummy to be steaming they want this thing to like be appear like it's steaming give it some you know extra life um and so the way they decide to do it is there's some ab smoke you know, spray one component on that's like and you wait you spray the other component on and and once they come combined automatically it's smoke it's, a, it's like essentially it's mustard gas it's ammonia yeah. and, and bleach essentially <laughs> and we get set up and doug is the main puppeteer and he's got everybody else and i'm slime boy essentially that's that's my job and I'm, I'm so imp- i'm the most you know i'm the lowest man of totem pole so the most important job they can give me is to deal with the slime you know slime <laughs> up the pub so i do all that and get ready to do the shot and the effects guy i think they've already they've already put one of the components on the dummy but but the you know but then the effects guy has to step in and spray the second component on just as they call roll and they do that and the guy sprays it and Doug immediately grabs his eyes and he got the chemical in his eyes. One, one of the two, either bleach or ammonia, one of the two in his eyes. And he gets sent to the hospital. I get bumped up to puppeteer and we shoot this, we shoot this and then safety goggles are passed out. <laughs> and then we do. The yeah. Shot. 
And it was really, I mean, I was glad to see Doug. Doug was okay, luckily. Well, luckily, it was nothing damaging. And they had, it was their obligation to take care of because it was, you know, their mistake that, you know, that it happened. Uh, but, you know, gratefully, he was okay, you know. So, and then he was back and we, we finished everything up. And so it was great. It was like a lot. I mean, that might, I think that was probably, though, my first real big set job. Yeah. Like in, yeah, so that was the end of '86, and then before I knew it, the next month, by the next month, I was, uh, well, I, the, the guys, the crew at at, at Effects Lab wanted me to come up to Kenny Myers on Return of the Living Dead Two. I interviewed, had a horrible interview with with Kenny. He didn't want to hire me. I drove down to Van Nuys, and I had already interviewed with Lance Anderson prior, and I called Lance and I said, "Hey, I, I have some new stuff. Would you mind seeing it?" He says, sure, come over. I said, I'm just a few blocks away. He says, sure, come on over. And I go over, and by the next morning, I was working on this on uh, The Serpent and the Rainbow. And then that was it. That was It was a full-time job after that. After that? That was like the turning point? That was the turning point. And by full-time up to this point, I mean there are great stretches of, of downtime. <laughs> you know, because we never worked all the time we it looks like we work more than we do uh um, yeah by virtue of the fact that sometimes we do so many things during the year and it looks like we're always doing something but there's always lots of downtime and where you're panicking and trying to figure out like how am i going to pay my bills and yeah you know stuff like that but that's that's life you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i know you mentioned it before obviously we can't talk about like everything on here but one that you mentioned before and i think i rewatched it couple weeks ago but the blob sure that movie what that does when you compare it to the original which is great obviously steve mcqueen as a high school kid in the movie which i don't know how old he was at the time but he played like a 17 year old high school 27 i think at the time or something that's not that bad off I mean, it wasn't that far off from being. That's I mean, normal. They make them, yeah. You could make them college students. It'd be just as like believable, but you know, but yeah. high school, you know, was the thing at the time. So another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But Kevin Dillon guys... crushes it in that role yeah. in the blob. Sure, and I, yeah. the effects are amazing. Every single one of them are just like, and they're all so different. Like when you have the kid that's making the phone call, just the way his body is just getting contorted or you have, what's her name? I can't think of her name. Alina. She was on Baywatch for years and she was oh, in a El- bunch of Eric- stuff. Erica, El- Erica Oleniak. I was actually, yes, that's her name. Yeah. Yeah. I, I worked on that scene. I was behind the seat when really Ricky, Ricky Paul Golden, like his hand gets, goes in her chest and those tentacles pop out. Yeah. A, a guy, a, unfortunately the late, Tony Ruprecht and I, or Anton Ruprecht and I, were in the back seat pushing those tentacles out of that dummy for that shot. <laughs> but that was—I had just got back from from Italy from three months in Italy for John Beekler, 
and come back. And John was doing Friday the 13th part seven, seven? at that time. Yeah. He was doing seven at the time. And I was out of a job. He had enough people <laughs> and I was out of a job and I went, where am I going to go? And I called the blob shop and they hired me immediately. I think I did a couple of weeks off and then I was just down at the blob shop for about a, only about a month and a half. I mean, I can't think that I was on that show more than a month and a half. And I felt like I was on it for a year. It was just, just so much stuff. We had a shop in Hollywood, just off of Hollywood Boulevard, which was the main, was called the blob shop. And that's where everybody prepped everything and all the work was done. And we would have, I mean, not every day, but there were quite a few times I recall the hot melt vinyl um, that they were melting down would catch fire. And because it produces such a toxic smoke, they'd have to evacuate the building, which meant like, I mean, like 50 or 60 or 80 of us, like suddenly <laughs> like out on the streets of Hollywood for three hours wandering around because... We got nowhere. We can't, you know, we still got to go back to work. And we're like, you know, we're just going to, so we just kind of like go to the, all the bookstores and, you know, comic book places and maybe go see a movie or something in the middle of the day or, um, but, um, eventually I started going in the morning from the, down to Hollywood, drive from Glendale to Hollywood, go work for a few hours there at that shop. And then I'd drive from Hollywood to Valencia, and I'd spend a few hours working on the first unit shots. And then I'd drive from Valencia to Simi Valley, all the way to the end of Simi Valley, where Dream Quest was. And I'd spend the rest of the day working on the puppet unit, like the miniature unit. And I think, I mean, I did about three weeks of that. And Lance Anderson <laughs> called me one morning. I said, I'm taking the day off. I called in sick or something. I said, I just, I've got to rest. And Lance Anderson called me that day and said, Hey, I just got uh, the new James Bond movie. And do you want to come work on it? And I said, yes. I said, you know, let me call, let me call the shop. And I gave him a two week notice. And then I went over to Lance's and, and ended up over there, you know, working on that. But I'll tell you when I worked on the blob, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we did that's in the show. I mean, and they still went on a long time after us. I mean, is this a show that never seemed to have an end because they can't, they couldn't figure out like really how they were going to get their shots done. They really kind of were, a lot of it was, they were just sort of guessing things in some way. Um, well, it's Chuck Russell, right? That's, yeah, Chuck directed it. And Chuck's a funny guy. I mean, he's like he's really interesting because he has a tendency to really get bent out of shape easily and become I mean, he becomes a screamer. And I mean he screamed at Shawnee Smith and he screamed at Mark Irwin, the cinematographer, and he screamed at this person and that person, and then we got down to I had been picked to do a to be, I'd been picked to do a test scene, the scene where Ricky Paul Golden the blob hits him, you know the the all the slime hits him in the face. Well, that was shot yeah. in the car that was on a gimbal rig that was and the car was on its side, like they they lifted the car up and had a gimbal rig and it was lift and so like rotated on its side on its axis, so that we could stand on a on a on a on a scaffold and dump a five gallon bucket of, of slime on them and let gravity do that. <laughs> but yeah. they wanted to test it first. So I got picked it for the test. 
And I didn't have to sit in the car because they didn't want to get the car messy. So they took me outside and laid me out between two, on a plank between two, uh, two ladders. And I'm lying there and I uh, get five gallons of slime dumped on me. And the first thing is, my first reaction is I start laughing because it's just, it's so absurd and chuck started screaming you're supposed to be scared scared be scared you're supposed to be scared you know like that and he just goes clean him up and do it again so i had to do it a second time for him and then i had to like you know scream and do ah, and all that stuff and it was just <laughs> <laughs> you know something, but I'll be honest with you. I, I, I think he's a really good director, and I think that he's, I mean, oh, as yeah. a producer, he was really good. He had some really good shows. I mean, Hell Night and, and uh, Dreamscape and, and Back to School and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and the direct, I thought The Mask was a good film, too. I liked that a lot. Yeah. The Mask was a really fun film. He's done a lot of different stuff, and his buddy Frank Darabont. Sure. Like, Frank. they have they have that kind of personality. I think it's yeah. passion, but maybe they just don't know how to harness it. So I've interviewed a few people that worked on the mist and they said how, uh, how he can get. Sure. You know, Frank, it was so funny because we watched the, this, the, the, you know, uh, hell night and you see the, you know, go the end crawl credits. So you see production assistants and right in the middle of it is Frank Darabont. <laughs> Frank, Frank started as a PA on hell night. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's amazing <laughs> where you can start and where you can get, you know. JJ Abrams started with uh, Don Doler and look at him now. You know. Yeah, JJ Abrams is writing that he wrote that Mel Gibson movie, the one uh man, I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. It was early 90s like when he was in college. Oh, he yeah, wrote this yeah, Mel but... Gibson movie that I think it was one when he had like amnesia or something I don't I'm know, sure some weird movie. You remember, I mean you know, I mean, you know, J.J. Abrams' first film was was uh, was uh, was it Night Beast? It was Don Dollar's? Oh, Night that Beast. was his first one. That was his first one. He was like a music. Uh, he did he did some like I don't know. It was like music editing, or or he was like sort of worked in the music, you know, like track or or something for it like that, you know. But that was sort of where he started, and, you know. And he still talks about Don Dollar. He's one of the rare filmmakers who got as far as they got, you know, farther than anyone could have ever imagined they got. And he still talks about where he started. And that and that's says awesome. a lot about it. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. He was working on Shrek. I interviewed this guy, Tim Lawrence. Yeah. Oh, Tim. Yeah. Sure. I remember Tim Lawrence. He had a job yeah. I interviewed him like a year before he passed. And yeah, he was telling me about like in 94, he was working on Shrek with J.J. Abrams, like in some yeah. garage that he had rented or something yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's so funny too because I'm I, my I'm back east with my fiance, and you know we we go to a music festival like well whenever they can have it now, but yeah, but uh, and visit her parents and uh, somebody there was somebody that we know. Their like their family knows. The, like the Abrams family. I mean, and they knew JJ when he was a kid. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's so weird. It's so the, weird how this, you know, world works. And sometimes, you know, yeah. it all, you meet people. You just never, you know, the people that you meet, you never know, like, you know, what the stories are going to tell you. Yeah. No, you never know who you're going to meet. Me and my wife yeah. were on our honeymoon and we we're at a bar in Iceland in uh, Reykjavik. 
and they were filming Fast and the Furious 8 at the time. Like, we yeah. didn't know that. But the guy at the bar was one of the cameramen, and we were talking to him for hours. He was telling me about how he sets up all the cameras in the cars. But uh, no, you never know. That's why you just talk to strangers, and you can learn a lot about them. Sure. My fiance's dad had the same experience in London, and he was probably found met some, I think he met some Americans either. I think, yeah, there were Americans or maybe Canadians working over doing some visual effects on some film over there. And they met, he met them in a bar and they started talking and he mentions my name and one of them goes, I know who he is. I know, you know, it was so weird, you know, so odd, (laughs) you know, I don't know because, you know, I mean, here I am, I'm sitting, I'm not good. You know, I mean, I feel like I'm bragging virtually a nobody and, and, uh, and then somebody like goes, ah, you know, and it's like, and, and, uh, it's an odd, like I said, it's an odd business. It's, it's a strange, uh, well, so many people go into a show. Living. So that's why, like I interviewed, uh, this guy, uh, his nickname's audio. Andy, he's a sound mixer. He worked on a few full moon movies that you were on. I mentioned your name and he remembered you. <laughs> Do you remember which shows those were? <laughs> uh, it was one of the evil bong movies. Oh, sure. Yeah. It yeah, he worked on a bunch of those, and he did like a lot of the David Dakota, like a talking. But you know something, I bet you he met my fiance too, then because she was she was on uh, those those movies with me also. I mean, it, it, the second one, but by the by the time we did the fourth and fifth one, she was there with me, and uh, yeah, and, uh, she was getting to to uh, be part of the part of the whole the whole thing, you know, the whole thing. The yeah, yeah. I interviewed one of the girls. Uh, the, the adult film star Jillian Jansen in one of the scenes. She yes, like, she "Hi, how are Hi. you?" <laughs> and she and Jillian Jansen like is with this Elvis, like this guy that's dressed like a seven foot tall Elvis. Bizarre, bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the you do the Blob, and then the, like one of the sequels because obviously when you work on so many shows. Your IMDb doesn't say like, oh, he was on this for a day or he just did something for a week. But one I had to ask you about out of that list was Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Sure. Yeah, that one I had just finished. I had just finished another sequel for John Beekler at that point. I was I had just finished supervising uh, To Die For Two. Um, nice. For him, the vampire flick. And uh um, and he had Freddy's dead going, so he had work to do in the shop. And so he brought me in and, and I, I was really tasked with building this, this animatronic puppet of Freddy. It didn't really have to do much cause it was for a quick shot, but they needed, it was towards the end of the film in the 3d sequence and his, his daughter hits him in the face with a pipe. So what they wanted was his cheek would pop open and these tentacles would, would like come out. Now I'm like not really an animatronics guy. I mean, I can fudge some little things and stuff, but first of all, I mean, he has, John has me like work from a mold that just didn't, you know, I, I, it was just kind of like, this isn't working for me, but I had to make a fiberglass (laughs) head fiberglass head out of it and cover it with, uh, with, with, uh, Freddie appliances. It's only later I found the, the, uh, the, the silicone mold of, uh, Robert England's head sitting there. I could have used, you know, it would have been a heck of a lot easier for me to use yeah. that. 
and I, it actually turned out okay looking. And for the shot, it kind of worked because we, we had to really do something weird. Like I had to sit on a scaffold above, above, um, oh gee, uh, Lisa Zane, and and I'm like over her shoulder, and they've got the camera below, the 3D camera below, and and so they could get the proper angle. And so, and I needed to have that so because the tentacles really we we're hitting them with compressed air to get them move because they're really just like uh, I think they were just like uh, uh, fishing lures that I used basically for it, <laughs> and uh, and and uh, and then I would use a cable to suck them back in, and then they would do a reverse shot for them popping out, and then we go see the movie, and it's not there. <laughs> Shots uh. completely gone. It's like, but I did a lot more set work on that too. We did a Chris. Uh, Chris Robinson and I did a day with, uh, or Chris Robbins and I did a, a day with uh, uh, the James Earl Jones was there, and that was that was a fun scene. We had to do a scene with him and Robert, and and uh, we did some shots up in Lake Hollywood in the Hollywood Hills, and that's where uh, Roseanne and and uh, oh god, what was his name? I worked and again to Tom Arnold. Yeah, I worked with uh, worked, <laughs> they were both there. Um, it's funny because I did another show with Tom Arnold, and like it was like, what is his name? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, we we did some, you know, we did some interesting stuff. We did like, um, I think the best gag though, I think I really think the one that really stood out for me was the one Rod Matsui did with uh, Carlos and the uh, and the little bug, oh. the little, you know, his his uh, hearing aid thing. Yeah, that, that that was just a really cool gag, and it took a lot of work, and and his stayed in the movie, and mine got cut out. So. <laughs> 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 so like who are the people like when you're in this obviously hollywood no matter what level you're at it's connections and obviously your previous work was it like a lot of john beekler and then who who else because it looks like you were doing i don't know if john worked on like death warren or lionheart it seems like you did like a few action movies for the next like five six years too sure well i, I mean i uh, like i said i'd start over i mean I, I, well, you know, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack a little bit because before I did that, uh, before I did that makeup effects job, lab job, you know, the Stepford Show, I forgot, I'd, I'd already worked with James Cummins on a Twilight Zone oh. episode, uh, you know, for the from the 1980s Twilight Zone, uh, and it was an adaptation of a Stephen King story called Grandma, and uh, the adaptation was by Harlan Ellison, and and James got called in after they shot it. And they said, we need a monster for this. What we, what we had, we weren't happy with. And so now we need something new. And then we had a week to build an entire suit. So I'd already met some people there and stuff like that. But by that time, so I had, I was working, I did some films with James Cummins after that, uh, like uh, Speak of the Devil. And um, uh, I did, uh, I was working, Lance Anderson would call me up and hire me back. And then I eventually, I was working for another shop called Precision Effects, which did mostly, um, live stage shows and things for Disney and Disneyland and things like that costume work. Uh, they did the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles coming out of their shells tour costumes so I was and you did one, you worked on that? I worked on one iteration of that when they went to Columbia. Oh they went down to South America. I worked on those suits. I didn't go okay. to South America, <laughs> but but I was working on those suits and and uh, um and so I was working for you know for for boutique shops like that. And then um 
I did a work for a guy named Larry Carr, and it was a it was a it was a it was a trade show job. Really, I won't go into details on it. But Larry is a great guy, and Larry had been working like at Real Effects. He worked on uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, in and a bunch of other shows. He was in the, the the business, but he is sort of edging out of the business, doing more like art stuff, uh, full scale sculptures, and and you know for bronzes and doing Halloween. He like was doing early Halloween stuff, and okay. he had this little shop down. He had this little shop down in Orange County, and he hired a friend of mine. And then he, our, my friend got me and a bunch of other guys to come down and to work on this thing. And Larry's a great guy. I mean, really, just just a really cool guy. And after I finished with him, I don't know how long I went went by, but I, uh, Alec Gillis from ADI contacted me and said, "Hey, we're we're going to do a, um, a Tales from the Crypt episode. Do you want to come work on?" I was like, "Sure." So I ended up going over to ADI for a long time, also on shows like Death Becomes Her and. Demolition nice. Man and Wolf and and uh, you know shows like that you know big big high profile big budget prestige shows um, and but yeah I mean I got uh, the Death Warrant job was a Lance Anderson job I I think it was after I went to Japan with Scream Mad George on a show it was in in eighty nine I went to show I went to to japan with george to do a show i came back lance hired me for a show called after midnight i know i was already working on after midnight before i went to japan i came back and finished up on on after midnight and then lance had uh death warrant come in the jean-claude van damme film we did a bunch of work on uh on uh, patrick kilpatrick for that oh i chatted with him yeah you did his facial I've done a bunch of shows with him. I, I oh yeah, into that guy. My, my he loves my he loves Maggie and you know so we always seem to run into into each other sometimes even just like not non work situations and nice. But the makeup the 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 makeup department head on that show is a lady named Nina Kraft, and she told me she goes I'm going on to Jean Claude's next film after this which is Lionheart. And she says, I'd like to hire you to do the prosthetics for it. And I had a little lab in my garage and stuff. And I was thrilled to do it. And, and so I ended up making, uh, boy, Harrison. Oh, what was his last name? He was in Carnosaur also. He played the sheriff in it. But oh, I wish I could remember. His, Harrison Page, I believe, is, was his name. And, and uh, so I did prosthetics for him, some really subtle pieces and a gold tooth and did, yeah, did, went down, did some stuff for them, and then they went to Vegas, and I thought that was done. And then I get a call a day after they get to Vegas. They say, John Claude, I added something. You know, can you help us out? It was like, can you can you make a hand that gets stabbed? And I went, I'll call you right back. And I call my <laughs> back. I go to my backyard. And this is a true story. My backyard. Before that point, uh, a guy named Scott Coulter. And I were living there at that house. Scott was from New York. He did uh, he did movies like Street Trash and and uh, Class of Newcomb High and and uh, nice. um, Slime City and you know he did all those really cool lowbrow horror films in New York in the eighties. I mean, a really great makeup effects artist, a really great guy. The guy's a true Renaissance man of effects. I'll tell you that much because he's all he's doing digital work now and stuff like that. But Scott had 
took an um, arm mold. He wanted to say, he, I'm gonna, he's li- when he's living at the house, he said, I want to do an experiment. And he casts a polyfoam arm out, or latex and polyfoam arm or something, out of this mold and digs a hole in our backyard and buries this arm in the in our backyard. <laughs> and I walk out in my backyard to the spot where he's buried this arm and I dig it out and it's still there. And surprisingly, it's a pretty good condition. I said, yeah, I could do this. <laughs> I was supposed to ship it out to them. And they said, <laughs> next thing you know, they call me and say, can you just fly out here tonight? So we're, we're sending you a ticket. We're just going to like, you know, we're going to, we're going to just fly you out here tonight and you're going to stay here for a few days and do these things for us. And then, you know, whatever we need and then we'll pay you and you can go home. And I went, oh, great. So, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I was doing stuff like that, you know, and, and I got to see Jean-Claude, you know, do more of his stuff. And, and uh, that's always fun. You know, he, he's always practicing and stuff. So I always get to watch him high kick or, you know, do something. <laughs> <laughs> was do, you, do you have any like obviously you have like if you add them all together over 300 credits that you've done work some crossover I think on some jobs but do you have like a favorite thing that you got to do over the years I don't know if it was like a creature or you know it's like if I had to like I mean it's it's so tough because I mean I'm sure. It's there's been a lot, you know, a lot of really good opportunities. I mean, I think technically, I'd say technically the best thing, my favorite thing, sort of artistically and technically, because I just had such, I mean, a really outstanding crew on it. We had far less time that I that I was hoping that that we would get. Yeah, you know, less money and less time that I was hoping that we would get to do it, and it turned out amazing. Was uh, it was a Sci-Fi Channel movie called Stanley's Lightspeed. And it was, it starred Jason Connery, who I just like, literally I did three movies back to back with Jason. That was the second of the three picture deal I had with him. (laughs) But we went to Utah to shoot that. And it was just a great time. Such an easy job too. I mean, the prosthetics, I took a a guy named Ross Talent out there with me. And it's just, we we had a great time working on it. (laughs) I asked for four weeks to build it. I had 18 days to, to like, to, to put this an entire full original body suit, like foam latex body suit, uh, full head, like you know, cowl, mask, gloves. Um, they never showed him in full body too many times either, which was just outstanding because it just meant that all we had to do is slip a pair of gloves on him and glue, you know, slip a cowl over his head and glue a thing to his face <laughs> and go to craft service, <laughs> you know, hang out and touch him up every once in a while. It was a, it was a really great experience. And, and uh, the, the executive producer, Jeff Franklin, I just, I can't thank him enough for, for trusting me with it and really giving me a really good opportunity. And just like the time that you were doing it, I interviewed another guy that worked with John Beekler a lot. This guy mm-hmm. Eddie Yang. Oh, sure. Was, yeah, yeah. Like, his story is similar to yours because he worked on Predator when he was yeah. uh, on like winter break in like yeah, I think he was like, seventeen. He was yeah, he was like yeah. a kid. I remember meeting Eddie. He used to come by Beekler's, and and when we were there, he I would mow the lawn. He was yeah, because I think he was there a little before me. And then he would come by when we were working there and because, uh, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, all these people that, you know, come and go. And, uh, I mean, we ran into 
it's been a, I mean, it's been a few years since I run into Steve Wang, but it's like, we, we, we end up always talking about our time in Italy together. Yeah. Especially when, I, when I, especially when I was playing the butt end of the monster that he was playing. So, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, uh, you know, and just, you know, it's, I mean, all these I mean, really interesting people that you get to work with and, and, uh, and some relationships, you know, it's like friends, you know, friendships. I mean, oh, some yeah. don't work out as well as you kind of hope they would. And others work out great. And, and we just make the greatest friends. Yeah, some, things get awkward too at times. <laughs> it's like, it's very much like life, you know? Um, <laughs> but it's really like we, I mean, had, uh, in Italy one day, Steve Wang walks up to me. It's a Saturday and he says, Hey, I got one of the cars. You want to go into Rome? Go, go into Rome and play some video games. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? So he, he and I just drove into Rome together and hung out for the day. And I, mean, I just never thought I'd ever do something like that. And, and, uh, you know, and it forged all these friendships. I mean, when all these young guys together in a foreign country and, and, uh, we had all this, you know, all this great, you know, great stuff around us and working in a studio with all this amazing history. It's, I mean, how can you not be, you know, taken up by that? And then, and then being there with other Americans, you just, you bond, you really, it becomes a family and, and, uh, and I can't, you know, you know I can't thank Charlie enough and Beekler enough and, and all those guys enough for those opportunities. So. Yeah, no, I, I think one thing I love about special effects, especially of that day and age and especially the time that you worked and I asked Eddie about like the transition. Cause like, you know, I think 91, 92, 93, like even like uh, if you watch the Freddy's Freddy's dead documentary, they talk about like doing like CG, like that was like early people trying to attempt to do that. So what was it like, like that transition? Like I, me personally, it's so funny when you look at the seat, the good CG Jurassic park, but then, ever, sure. like around that time, bad CG, you notice it. Yeah. Practical, it still holds up. Well, I think you know it's funny too because I saw a film the other day, and it's been it came out in the seventies, and I and I don't think I'd actually seen it before. It's called Demon Seed. I'd known about it, I just never got a chance to see it until it was on the other day. And I, I think that I'm not certain if that's the first film that had CG, like some computer animation slipped into it. One of those films around that time, and I know that by the time the uh, the last Starfighter came out, all of the all of the space battles, all the starships, all that stuff, those are all digital. Um, oh. So they were experimenting with that stuff at the time and trying to like figure out how the best to make it integrated into film because they knew that. Well, you know, they were they're just trying to figure out a cheaper way of doing things, and I don't think that worked out very well for them. And it's they were kind yeah. of stuck by that. They'd already put so much money into it. They said they would just have to use this stuff, and we'll have to hire five hundred people now. Um, we'll have to hire twice the, the twice the amount of the original crew to do our visual <laughs> effects. So, but it's not all bad. I think some of the best CG that you see these days is is in commercials. Um, because they have more t- more money for less time, so they put in more yeah. detail. It's all about layers. The more layers you can add in, the more realistic you can make it look. That's the reason why a lot of the asylum stuff and, and those guys work really hard. I won't knock them because they do work really hard. And I know Glenn Campbell, who runs the uh, 
the visual effects department over there. And they, I mean, those are really good. And Glenn's been around for a long, long time since the, like the seventies himself. And he's, so these guys know their stuff, but they kind of know what they're up against. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just like collect a paycheck and we're grateful we have a job, you know, we're still doing what yeah. we, we do and we're not, you know, um, I, I was never made for flipping burgers. I think <laughs> I, I tried. <laughs> I mean, I I, uh, I did some some things like you know I worked at the Hollywood Bowl for a, for a season during the summer. It was like my first real <laughs> job, I think, after my dad and my first outside yeah. my dad's you know place job and and stuff like that. So I mean, I've done things like that. Uh, I stripped floors for a while with a guy, you know, like uh, uh, stripping. Um, uh, uh, um, tile floors and stuff like that and refinishing them and stuff. I mean, I did mean, you know, jobs like that. I won't say menial, but I just did jobs like that, but always dreaming of doing yeah. this. And the funny thing is that sometimes I'm doing this and I'm going, God, I wish I had another job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, you're already on your, you're trying to work in, you know, you're trying to say, okay, I'm going to do an eight hour day today. And then by your 12th hour, you're like, oh, that didn't work. You know, uh, uh, no, we, my, Maggie and I were on a job late last year at another shop and it was um it was for meta um it was a super bowl ad and it was oh okay a it was a great experience and it was so killer the hours were so long and the it was like a minimum 10 hour day and then we do our 12 hour days and our and uh but I'll be honest with you, it was really well organized and it was really well taken care of. And the crew were, you know, you know, everybody was seemed pretty happy and it was a good, you know, and it's a really good experience. And especially for Maggie, who, you know, she's, she's looking to do more stuff like this. It was a great experience for her. She did a great, That's great awesome, job. man. Yeah. And Jeff, so uh, this has been great, man. So you have a lot coming up. I know IMDb is usually not right, but it looks like you have a lot coming up this year. You know, and I want to talk about, you know, I wanted to talk just a little bit about the primevals also, because I know that that's coming up. Um, David Allen's maybe the primevals for full moon. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I had met when I met Dave in the late seventies, invited me over to a shop and they had just begun pre-production on the Charlie band version of the primevals. He had already had Raiders of the stone ring and he had had his other iterations of that film. Even when hammer films had it, it was called uh, Zeppelin versus pterodactyls. But eventually yeah, in 1978, I go over to Dave Allen shop and they've got this arena set set built and they've got lizard men and, and they, you know, so, um, and they have this, uh, this mind control gun that, that a couple lizard men sit in and, you know, cause the Yeti to, to, you know, to do whatever they want. And in 1994, my roommate, David Matherly had been hired by full moon to go over to Romania to shoot, to go on, to do the handle the makeup effects for it. Cause uh, he had been working for Steve Neal on the show and Mark Rappaport. Oh, Steve Neal. I interviewed him. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Steve, yeah, Steve, Steve is a legend, you know, I mean, boy, what that guy's done. It's amazing. So impressive. Um, Mark Rappaport's shop was doing all the other stuff. And, uh, and then Dave was hired to, to, to supervise the, the location work for both shops over in Romania on it. And then Todd Masters called Dave and said, Hey, I'm 
about to do a, a Demon Knight, you know, the Tales from the Crypt movie. And Dave went, and that was shooting about six blocks away from where we were living. <laughs> and it was like we were living in Van Nuys and literally about like maybe in, maybe in that that far, maybe four or five blocks away is the the hangar, <laughs> the air, their airport hangar where they're shooting Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. <laughs> and Dave makes the choice to go onto that, go over to Todd Masters on that, which leaves the job open for the primevals. And Dave refers me to it. And I end up going down to Full Moon and talking to them. And they say, welcome aboard. And before I know it, like I had done, I had done a couple of Godzilla jobs, one of them for the 94 Godzilla that never got made. I'd done some, some work for Sony Imageworks for that. And then about... Wow. Ten days after that finished up, I was on a plane heading to Bucharest, and I spent nine weeks in Romania with Dave Allen on Primevals, and you hear a show that when I was a kid, you know, 14, 15 years old or so, maybe 16 or so, and I'm and I'm at his shop seeing all of this stuff, and before I know it, I'm in Romania working on the film. <sighs> Um, sort of coming full circle. And even then, uh, we went to, we shot a lot of it at Castell Films, some of it on location of the, or up in the Carpathian Mountains. And we shot in another, the old studio in Romania called, outside of Bucharest called uh, um, Bufta Studios. And uh, I mean, it's a 1940s, I mean, palatial studio that had fallen into disrepair and was being reopened. So we were one of the first productions to go in and shoot some stuff in there and here is a full scale version of that mind control gun i saw when i was a kid in 1978 there's like a full scale one on set it was so cool to see that i was just floor i got i think i got a couple photos of it somewhere but it was it was suddenly wow i can't believe it i saw this when i was a kid and now here's one in front of me that's like the actual size one yeah <laughs> Yeah, it was great. I mean, um, I'll tell you, working with Dave was amazing because I'd known him since I was a kid and getting to be there on that. And and the probably the biggest thrill was when Dave walked up to me one day and he goes, Robert Cornthwaite is coming in tomorrow to do his part. And I'm like, Robert Cornthwaite is, you know, uh, Dr. Carrington and Thing from Another World, um, you know, the Howard Hawks, you know, uh, movie and uh and I was floored. I had no idea he was still with us at that point. He came yeah. in and I got to spend a few days with him. And and even then, uh, you know, I, just, I mean, that's that's like that's the best part about this business is the people that you meet. You yeah. get to work with the most amazing people. One more film I'm, you know, mentioned. I don't know how much more time you got, but uh, was John Beekler's final film, Wizard Dream. It was a pretty amazing experience. Really, uh, we had a, a lot of problems getting it together. Um, the union came in and tried to shut us down, and the show had to flip. And they, uh, you know, they got we got through it. Um, and unfortunately, it's still sitting in po- without any post production done on it all these years later. And we're hoping that it gets done. Uh. Somebody picks it up eventually and actually finishes it. Finishes John John's final film because it's oh, all dude, shot. They got to do that. All, all the live action is shot and all it needs is there was a puppet of a dragon that still needs to be shot that Tony, uh, that, um, Oh my God. Um, guy, who was it? Uh, 
Well, it, there's a puppet that exists. Um, hopefully it's still in good condition. And then all the post-production stuff, all the uh, sound and visual effects and, and things like that need to be added. But the most amazing part about that film was Maggie had just moved out here. She comes out to visit with me and end up staying. And, and that happened to be, I had to run down to set. And so I bring her down to set that day. And it happened to be the first day that Malcolm McDowell had showed up on set. Cause he's the lead in the film and wow. he shows up to sign his contracts and stuff. And so, and we're, and I'm down there just, uh, clean, uh getting our trailer ready for a move. So just packing everything. I'm just getting it ready so they can move the trailer. And so Maggie and I were the only two down there and here's Malcolm. And then they set up this huge like sushi spread for him for lunch. And he's just like, you know, come, come join me, you know, come have sushi with me. And, and, and he's trying to be the most amazing person. Just, I mean, he adores Maggie. Uh, and it was just, I mean, what a great guy. What an amazing experience to get to work with somebody like that, that, you know, you're a little, maybe, maybe a little intimidated the first time you get to meet them because maybe you've heard things and you're not sure what they're going to be like personality wise. And it just turned out to be the most amazing and kind, you know, really attentive and friendly person and, and just hardworking. And that's, you know, it's such an amazing thing in this business, you know, getting to meet people like that. Yeah. They got to get so, that made. I interviewed the lady that was a producer on Grizzly 2 way back sure. when they shot it back in like 84. 485 sure and i yeah. interviewed her because i saw for years i'm telling you for years i've heard like stories about it because i remember my dad showed me grizzly because right after jaws went well they're like dude we gotta do the same movie but on land I and then there's grizzly so many jaws there. so many ties from jaws to grizzly too like the guy that worked on the shark and sure. jaws worked yeah. on grizzly too and a lot of this stuff didn't work so oh, i yeah. saw it was coming out and i yeah. interviewed her like if you see i don't know if you should watch the movie. I don't know how much it is to rent, but I, yeah, I know that they just finally got a version out because it's been, it came out January, 2021. Yeah. It came out. They, there was that rough cut that was on YouTube and I watched part of that. It was, it was really rough. It was, you know, because there were so many pieces missing. I've sort yeah. of seen some of it, but I would like to watch that finished version. It's so funny too, because of what it's like, it's like the first, it's like first films for like what Laura Dern, Charlie Sheen, George Clooney. It was like really early movies for all of them. Yep. And, and they die uh, right away. Yeah. They all like get, yeah, they all get wasted like right away. And, you don't uh, see anything. All you see is them like scream and you see the same. I think the thing that was it that hurt that movie was the shark. I mean, the shark, the bear suit that he made in, in the jaws guy it just didn't work. Like, so yeah. a lot of the shots are reshown, and it's really just this bear over and over. Again. It's the same shot because they couldn't <laughs> use the the man bear suit that they had because like the yeah. jaws didn't work or something. So no, but yeah. she was a cool lady because she worked on that movie. It was like the only movie she ever worked at. And then years later she has money and she goes back and funds a lot of it herself. So that was like the coolest thing about it. I did hear about that. I did hear about her like wanting to go back in and like, and make sure yeah, I interviewed her. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, it's like, it was a cool story. Yeah. I mean, I love stuff like that. I mean, I, uh, 
you know, you mean you've heard of a, a video Asinitis, the guy who did Beyond the Door, and uh, no, and uh, oh, well, you, mean, you ever heard of a movie called Beyond the Door? Uh, he did Piranha Two. He produced Piranha. Oh, okay, II. I've heard and, of that. Oh man. But but Ovidio Asinitis is an Italian producer. He was born in Egypt, but he was a European producer who, uh, like I said, he did uh, the film. He did a film called Beyond the Door, which uh, Warner Brothers sued uh, for copyright infringement because it was released after The Exorcist. It was shot apparently before The Exorcist, but it came out after The Exorcist, and there's similarities to it. So Warner Brothers sued. And uh, it, but it stars Juliet Mills, and ironically, I mean, I was in Romania with her for nine weeks on the Prime Eagles, and completely forgot to ask her about it. <laughs> but it's, I mean, yeah. it's a really, it's a worth seeing. Actually, there are two other Beyond the Doors. One that was uh, a film called Shock. Originally, it was Mario Bava's final film. Um, it's the film that he did last. Uh, his son. Lamberto directed a lot of it. Then there's Beyond the Door Three, which was uh, which was originally called uh, a mock train, or now it wasn't even called a, mo- a mock train originally. It was Beyond the Door Three when I got a script for it, and I was thrilled. I was like, oh, "I got a count. I want to do a show with this guy because his films are so hot." <laughs> and I uh, and that was like the first of two times I almost got to work with that guy, and it was just like, and and you're kind of like, you know. Uh, Maybe maybe there's another one coming up. I hear he's actually doing another Beyond the Door. Um, really? So maybe maybe I can get on that one. But it's sort of like you you know like fingers crossed. Everyone, <laughs> you always try to get a second chance in this. Like that lady, you know, who 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 finally finished uh, Grizzly too. You know, because sorry, you're trying to get a second chance after the first chance doesn't work out. Yeah. And the industry is 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 strangely enough filled with a lot of that. Um. It's really weird. I mean, you, I mean, people do things in this industry, and and somehow they end up actually. It's like they fail up. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So one more question, and one thing about Grizzly too. The one thing that's great about it, John Reese Davis, he sure. plays like this bear hunter in the movie named Bouchard, and he talks yeah. in third person the whole movie, which is pretty cool. But no, one question <laughs> I always like to ask people because when you have your journey in Hollywood. You know, you never know when, you know, it could be your last job or if it's something that you're really going to do forever. But over the years, did you ever have, keep any mementos for set or things that you worked on? Did you bring so them I back? Was, well, I mean, I have a few things. I mean, I used to have more stuff. And you know, like when I was like, I had the shops, you know, open various shops. I, you know, I had my display pieces, like my puppets from Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys and nice you know things like that on display and over the years either you know you kind of get rid of them uh, over the time people want to collect them and you kind of you know pass them yeah. off to collectors and and i've got a few things i mean i still have a couple of things here and there uh you know some of them got like i have a, I have, a I have a silicone leech from the movie leeches that dave dakota made. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> i have one of the the one of the heads from uh, bill malone's movie parasomnia um, I have a copy of that mummy I made for Dave Dakota's uh, ancient, uh, ancient evil scream of the mummy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, I love those titles. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, but there's yeah, I mean, a few things, but over the, over the years I've sort of whittled down to, because yeah, you can't have them forever. People, yeah. You can't keep them forever. And some people do want these things, you know, they're, you know, they, some people do consider them to be valuable. I'll be honest with you. I've only got one, 
like actual real prop that I really like cherish. I mean, it's the one thing that I never thought I'd ever have. And it's like, it's the one thing that I just, I covet, like almost it's the, the little miniature book from Equinox that Dave Allen made and used in all the stop motion scenes. And it's the only, wow. it's the only surviving book from the film or out of the three books that were made for the film. It's the only one that exists now. And I didn't watch that, you know, so yeah, it's, it's like we, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't have, you know, like the, the displays that uh, like KNB has and Vincent Guastini and, and guys like that. Those guys have like shops full of, you know, stuff. But I'll tell you one thing, they get dusty and you got to clean them. Yeah, off. no, I love the idea <laughs> of you passing along because you're fueling someone's film passion. Like I interviewed Rico Ross recently, who was in Aliens. Oh, he played Private sure, yeah. Frost. Dude, know, yeah. he gave he kept one thing from that movie. He said he had the script, but he lost it over the years. But he had the dog tags. Some yeah. girl uh, that was in high school reached and said, "I'm a huge fan. Uh, I'm, I'm joining the Marines because of you." And he mailed it to her. And I'm like, "Dude, you uh, changed that. That's a, that's a story somebody will never forget." Someone's someone's gonna someone's gonna find those dog tags and they're gonna go like. Private Ross, or you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever, Ross. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, Private Ross, or whatever. It's like, didn't he get killed? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Jeff, thanks for doing this. Thanks for uh, being patient, and uh, I love. Uh, it's so funny. Like I've been doing this for like over three years now, and it's just cool talking to so many different people that that connect and work with each other because I think special effects and like behind the scenes, it's such like, not like a, obviously there's different parts of Hollywood that are clicky, but there's so many different projects and things people can do within the business. Like sure. Tim Lawrence is the, one of the first special yeah, yeah. effects guys I interviewed and he did sculpting. He did, he was doing the, the makeup on the thriller video. So he's done like so many different things. And I think that's, yeah. Yeah, he had he had his he had his shop just up the complex from John Beekler's shop, his little buddy productions, and that was yeah, it was just right up at the end of the of the complex where John Beekler's place was, and I remember him up there and just you oh know, really uh, that was the name yeah. of that was Tim's shop that was Tim's shop It's called Little Buddy Productions. That's cool. <laughs> Eddie told me he gave him his first job ever. Like he got, uh, he got him a job on. I forget what movie, but he had to turn him down because he took another job without like knowing or something like that. But sure, uh, yeah, that's the business. Thanks for uh, sharing your stories with me, Jeff. Thank you, Doug. I really appreciate it. It was really great talking to you, and uh, hopefully, we'll do it again soon. Jeff was such a cool dude. Really, I, I just love talking with people. I love their craft so much. And just the fact when he was talking about during the pandemic, like he was still able to work during that. And uh, he, he had just so many different things in his background. We did the video chat. My, my video is a little laggy, so I didn't want to post it. You'll see it in a clip on social media uh, of some things that Jeff talks about. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just love that era of uh, movie making. Like 80s, 90s are my are my bag for sure. Like, God, I could talk to uh, Jeff forever. And he was a, he was a long interview. He loved to chat. And I, I love when people are open and, uh, and want to tell me stories. Cause that's what I love. I love doing these interviews. And then I go inside and tell my wife about the interviews. And then 
three months later, two months later, when the interview goes out, I get to re-listen to it, edit it, and uh, so much fun. Thank you, Jeff. He has a lot of cool projects coming out, so I'll put his IMDb in the notes so you can go check that out and go back and see other cool things that he's worked on over the years. You'll be like, whoa, he worked on this? Because he probably worked on Demolition Man? Yeah, he worked on that. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. And uh, your homework, not that hard, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. I always want to say The Final Friday because of uh, Jason Goes to Hell. I don't know why. We already covered that one. I don't want to cover that one again. But this one is kind of in the same ilk. I think it's almost right around the same years. Uh, So, yeah. So, uh, you can find it. It's on Tubi, Pluto, one of those. It's free. It was free all of October. I I watched it. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to talk to Jamie about it. So, don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. And don't forget to check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night. Good night, guys.